The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, well, today we are uh, continuing in a series that we've been in for the last few weeks called Simple. Uh, and the idea behind this series is we want to take these, these core areas of the Christian faith that, that sometimes get a little cloudy, that sometimes get a little fuzzy, uh, and we want to uncloud them. We want to bring clarity to these, these core uh, convictions that we have as Christians. And so the first week we looked at the person of Jesus Christ, the next week we looked at the gospel, last week we had Pastor Barrett here, he's uh, with our brothers and sisters at Axe Lakeway uh, this morning, so he's not here today, uh, but he went through the law with us, and today we're going to look at the church. Okay, what, what, what does it mean to be the church? What's the church about? Sometimes that's an area that gets really, really cloudy. And so we're just going to spend some time unpacking that. Uh, and just so I'm clear up front here, uh, like all these topics in this series, it's, it's a big topic. The, the church is a big topic. There's a lot of nuances to it. There's actually a subdivision of theology called ecclesiology where you specifically study the church. So we could spend all day here, but I will spare you that. Uh, we're we're going to focus uh, more specifically today on what I call uh, the church gathering. Basically what we do here. Why do we do what we do here? Why do Sunday mornings matter? What's the purpose of this? What's the point of this? That's what I want us to, to dig into today, and so that's what we'll be looking at. Uh, and here's why I think that's important. Uh, so when my wife, Melissa, and I first started dating, uh, you know, when we first started dating, my, my parents were asking me questions about her, and they wanted to know, you know, if she's the, the right gal to, to be with their baby boy. And, and so, so they asked me questions. The first question, I remember this, the first question they asked me, which is really the most important question to ask if a person is a quality person, a person of character, and they wanted to know if she was right for me. The first question they asked was, Gabe, is she a Green Bay Packers fan? <laughs> and uh, I, I said, yes, of course. Uh, you know, I only date pious people, and so, so, uh, so yes, she's a Packers fan. Uh, and so that was my parents' first question. My grandparents' first question was a little different. I went and talked to my grandpa, and I told him, yeah, I'm dating this girl. Uh, she's, she's really cool. And, and he's like, great. And he goes, but Gabe, is she a Christian? And I said, yeah, Grandpa, she's a Christian. And then he got real serious, and he just goes, but Gabe, does she have a personal relationship with Jesus? And uh, it took me a minute because I was trying to figure out what that meant. And, uh, and, uh, and I said, uh, yeah, she does. And, and I told him, no, but Grandpa, I, I said, I feel like nowadays, um, I, I know a lot of people that, that would claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus, and their lives look like they never met him. And so I said, I feel like nowadays, almost a more important question is, is she a part of a church? Is she a part of a local community of the body of Christ? And my grandpa was really taken back by that because he said, you know, Gabe, when, when I was growing up, uh, everybody went to church. Like, that was just what you did. And he said, and it just became so hollow and so routine that the way to tell if anyone actually really believed this stuff was to ask the question of personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But I think now, in many ways, we see the inverse of that, don't we? That there's gobs of people, statistically, gobs of people would, would claim a personal relationship with Jesus, and yet commitment to the local church is waning huge, huge. Those of us in, in professional ministry have actually known this for a while, that, that people who used to worship every week on a Sunday now come three times a month. People who used, used to worship every other week come two times a month. People that used to worship once a month grace the doors of the church six times a year. That's just a reality of the cultural context that we're in right now. And, and the reality is this, our church, not that different. Not that different. Worship is just sporadic now. And there's a reason for it. There's a bunch of reasons for it. Um, so let me just go through a few of them. First of all, there's no real cultural pressure 
to be in weekly worship. Like, no one really cares if you do or don't. We, we don't have that sort of outside cultural pressure that, that sort of drives that. Uh, you know, it's Sunday fun day, right? That's, that's what it's for. Uh, and then, of course, folks have busy schedules now, right? So, so some of you, your only day as a family might be on Sundays, or, or sometimes you maybe have uh, kids in sports, act, sports activities, or people travel a lot more now, and so maybe you're off traveling. We also live in a consumeristic society, right? And so in many ways, it's really hard to see the direct benefit of going to weekly worship, right? Like, I, I don't know, I don't need to go every week. It's good once in a while. I don't know if I need it every week. Right? It's hard to see the direct benefit of that especially when you can listen to the best worship music and hear the best preachers in the world at the click of a button, right? Or there's folks that believe in a more self-directed spirituality, right? Like if I had a nickel for every single time I've heard a guy tell me, well, you know, pastor, I really connect more with God on the tractor than I do at church, so I don't need the church, I'd be a millionaire. I wouldn't have to be a pastor. It'd be awesome, right? Actually, I love being a pastor. I'd still be a pastor, but you wouldn't pay me, all right? So everybody wins. Um, But... That's how it is, right? And so, so we put all of this together, all these cultural contexts that sort of float around us, and we see church attendance numbers dwindle. Sunday gatherings get smaller and smaller, not so much at our church, but around the country. And, and there's legitimate conversation out there among ministry professionals that says, should we keep doing this? Does this really even matter? Because, because the reality is, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of financial overhead to rent this place. I spend a minimum of 10 hours, upwards of 15 to 20 hours a week working on a message. Tanner, our director of worship arts, spends at least 20 hours a week uh, training the band, writing out charts, doing the details for the service, getting that put together, plus the 20 volunteers it takes to set up and run this place. I mean, is it worth doing? Maybe we should just go all online or just meet in homes. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of energy. It's a lot of personnel. Does this matter? Does the gathered church matter? Well, it will come as no surprise to you that I think, yes, it does. I think, yes, it does. But really, it matters what I think. It matters what God's Word says. It matters what Scripture says. And what we see in our text is, is Scripture argues here in Hebrews chapter 10 for the importance of gathering together. And, and here's the flow of the arguments in the, the author of Hebrews. He, there's kind of three parts to it. First part is Jesus made the church. Second part is in it we find our true identity. Third, therefore we must gather. That's kind of the argument we see here. Jesus made the church. In it we find our true identity. Therefore, we must gather. Okay? So Jesus made the church. Let's check it out. I'm magical today. <laughs> At verses 19 through 21 in our text for today. It says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. All right, so this text starts off and it says, therefore, uh, which, which if you graduated sixth grade English class, you know that therefore means that the author of the text is, is concluding an argument, right? And what's the argument that he's concluding? Well, if you were to look at the section before this text, the, the author of Hebrews goes to great lengths to describe the gospel. Goes to great lengths to lay out how it works. And it's simply this, that, that when it comes to being made right with God, when it comes to be being accepted by him and loved by him and brought into his embrace, it isn't about you doing good things and doing good works. It isn't about you following a list of spiritual activities. No, no, no. We're brought into God's presence, embraced by him, purely because of Jesus' work for you on the cross. Right? 
That's what the author of Hebrews, this whole argument that he begins the section before that. And so he says, therefore, in light of the fact that Jesus is the one who brings you into the Father, his blood covers over all your sins. Because of all that, we can enter into the holy place. The divide that existed between sinful man and a holy God is covered. Jesus stands in that divide. And now we can fully enter into God's presence, accepted and loved. And then verse 21 says, because we have a great priest over the house of God. And a priest is the, is the, is the uh, bridge between the divine and the human. A priest is the bridge between the divine and the human. But it says Jesus is the great priest, not just for anybody, but he's the great priest over the house of God. And what's the house of God? Well, another word for that would be the family of God. Another word for that would be the people of God. Another word for that in the New Testament, the people of God, is the church is the church. That what this text is saying is that those who trust in Jesus, they have a great priest over them and they are part of the church. That they're in it. That Jesus started it. People say, what do you mean Jesus started the church? I thought that was kind of man. No, Jesus started the church. Matthew 16, Jesus is walking around with his disciples and they're talking and he says to them, he says, hey, who are people saying that I am? Who do people say that I am? And, and they say, well, you know, some folks say you're Elijah, some folks say John the Baptist, some say Jeremiah, some say just another prophet. And Jesus stops and he says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon answers, Simon Peter answers, and he says this, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are people. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus says, Peter, you got it right. You hit the ball out of the park, buddy, and it's on the rock of that confession that I am the Christ. He says, that's what I'm going to build my church. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. In other words, what Jesus says here is, hey, if you see me as the Christ, if you trust in me as your Lord and Savior, you are part of my people, you are part of the church. And see, I belabor that point because I see so often in our culture people say, well, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I want to distance myself from those Christians. And so, so I'm kind of a Christian by myself, but I'm not, I don't really like the church. I don't really like what they've done. They've done some messed up stuff in the past. There's some brokenness in there. It's full of hypocrisy. So I'm a Christian, but I'm not like the rest of them. I'm just kind of a Christian on my own. That's nonsense. It doesn't exist. The idea of being a Christian on your own is just silly. There's no such thing. Being a Christian inherently binds you to the church. You can't be a Christian be a part of the church. It makes no sense. Now I say that and people get a little uncomfortable. Okay? Be clear. Being a part of the church doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Okay? But once that happens, you're united to the church. In his classic work on Christian community, uh, Life Together, the brilliant uh, theologian, one of my favorites, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, puts it like this. says this, Christian community not an ideal we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. See, we don't create church. We don't invent it. We don't try to force our way to make it happen. No, no, no. Jesus says, I made my church. You're a part of it. And understand this. If you know the children's song, 
The church is not a building. The church is not a anyone steeple. The church is not a resting place. The church is a people. Man, we'll do a sing along afterwards. All right, you guys got to get on this. Uh, so the, the church is a people, right? Uh, so. So, so the reality is, all right, so the church is a people. Does that inherently mean, Pastor, that we have to gather together? I thought you said this was about gathering together on Sunday mornings. Well, let's keep going. Look with me at verses 22 to 23 in our text. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So the author of Hebrews says, those connected to Jesus are inherently connected to his people. And as the church, he says, let us draw near with our hearts sprinkled clean uh, from a conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What is that language that he's using there? The language he's using there is what we would call baptismal language. He's going back to this sacred act of baptism. And what I love about that is whenever scripture references baptism, it's always a reference to our identity. It's always pointing us back to who we are in Christ. That in the waters of baptism, you're brought into the family of God. That you're washed into the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that roots you in your true identity as a child of God. And where does that act take place? Where does baptism take place? It takes place when the church gathers, when the people of God come together. Right? No one baptizes herself or himself. Right? There's always another. That washes you and brings you in. It's usually a pastor, but not always. Another member of the body of Christ needs to baptize you to bring you into the family of God and to root you in your true identity as a child of God. And you say, okay, that's lofty, but like, why does that matter? So it rang really true for me this last week. So many of you know I, I do some work as uh, the chaplain for the Austin Aztecs, our, our local professional soccer team here. And um, at any rate, I had uh, my first Bible study with the team this last week, which was really awesome, and, and four of the guys came, and, and it, was, it was really cool, just eye-opening, because they, they were so hungry for God's Word. They were so spiritually hungry that it was like the biggest deal ever for them to actually read the Bible and pray together. Like, I, I don't know how to describe it. It was just amazing to me, uh, because they, they've been, they, their games are on Saturdays, and then they have um, a cool-down workout on Sunday mornings. And so they haven't been able to go to worship. One guy said, I'm, I've been a Christian my whole life. I haven't been able to get to church in four years because professionally I just haven't been able to. So anyways, we had the, the most simple of gatherings. Uh, we, you know, of course had some coffee because I need that. Uh, but but we, we just shared prayer requests where we're at spiritually, read the Bible. Uh, and that was it. That was it. But at the end of it, one of the guys just said, he just goes, I don't know about the rest of y'all, uh, but he said, I needed this so much. He said, I, I, I need peace. He said, I know God and, and I believe in him and everything. But he said, my day in and day out. He said, Gabe, every single day, I feel like I have to prove myself. I have to justify my position on the field so that I can get to the next level, so that I can get to the next level. And he said, and I keep getting injured. And so I'm saying, God, where are you at in the midst of this? And he said, but for me to gather with these guys reminded me of who I am in Christ what that is? That's, that's him being reminded of what his true identity is. Because it's not just professional athletes, is it? It's every single one of us that throughout the week we have things that are constantly pulling at us to put our identity in them. You, you only matter if you're really successful or if you're doing well or if you're the best mom in the world or the best wife or the best husband. 
place identity in, in being a friend or being a part of this social network or this community. Again and again, we try to find ourselves in different places, and inevitably, they always fail us. Always. And so we gather together and we remind each other that our true identity, who we are at our core, is a child of God. That who you are at your core is a child of the God of the universe. That, that the God who hung the stars in the sky looks at you and says, you're my son, you're my daughter. And when we gather around the Lord's Supper, we're told that you're free to come, that you're the forgiven people of God, that he unites us together. See, in our gathering together, we're reminded of our true identity. So the reality is, we must gather. But it's not just for the gathering itself. There's more to it. Look with me at verses 24 through 25. And let us stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I was Trace with me the flow of this argument, okay, thinkers. So, so we've got, uh, it starts off with, with the author of Hebrews saying, Jesus is the head of the church, and as those who are connected to him, those part of the church, when we gather together, we remind one another of the identity we have as God's children. And then verse 24, it says, so let's consider then, in light of that identity, in light of who we are as children of God, let's consider up towards love and good works. And how do we start doing that? Well, let's not give up meeting together. Let's keep doing that so we can stir one another up towards love and good works. In other words, the church doesn't gather solely just to gather. Right? We don't, we don't pursue community for the sake of community. That's called a country club. Right? We pursue community because it's in that gathering that we're stirred up towards love and good works. So in other words, let me say this, if you want to stay stagnant in your faith, if you want to watch your love for other people decrease, your ability to serve others decrease, your ability to actually work some good and healing in this broken world diminish and shrink down, if that's what you'd like, stop coming to weekly worship. But if you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, if you want to grow in your love for other people, your ability to do good and to be a source of healing in this world. Verse 25, don't neglect me together. It's that simple. It's that simple. You say, Gabe, I don't know, man. I don't know. Let me just tell you, let me just tell you what it looks like for our little church. Purely because we gather together, let me just tell you what happens. Okay? Do you know how many dollars our tiny little church has given away to people in need just this past year? Just this past year. I don't actually know for exactly this last year, but I know for 2014, we haven't done the numbers for this year yet. It'll be more than it was for 2014. For 2014, we gave away close to $35,000 to people in need. Do you think that happens if we don't gather? We just say, I'm going to connect with God on my iPad. It doesn't happen. You know how many different organizations we've served throughout this year? I don't know the exact number. I, I spent only two minutes. I was like, just see what you can do for two minutes. Just write out as many as you can. And I got over 25 organizations that our church has served and partnered with in the past year. Does that happen if we all start placing things above gathering together as the people of God? I don't think so. 
We've had 10 people be baptized this past year. We had another half communion for the first time. We've had many people who weren't connected to the church find a home where they belong, where they feel loved, and they feel welcomed. We've sent three mission teams to Central America this past year. Does that happen if we don't gather together as God's people? I don't think it does. And some of you, man, like, you hear all those numbers, you actually maybe start to feel a little guilty, and you say, whoa, I don't know if I did that much. I don't know that I, I, I helped out that much with any of those things. I, I must not really be a part of it. Sure, carry more weight than others. But the reality is, each of us needs us. Every person who's a part of the gathered church contributes to the work of the gospel in our community and in the world. Again, my boy Bonhoeffer puts, makes this point in life together. He says this, In a Christian community, everything depends upon whether each individual is an indispensable link in a chain. Only when the smallest link is securely interlocked is the chain unbreakable. Every Christian community must realize that not only do the weak need the strong, but also that the strong cannot exist without the weak. The elimination of the weak is the death of the fellowship. And so I don't know if you consider yourself a strong or a weak Christian or a strong or a weak part of this community. But understand what he's saying here, and he's right on. We need each other. Every piece needs each other. That's why the images in Scripture again and again and again is that we are all one member of one body. We need each other. And so listen, church, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another as we see the day approaching. See the day approaching. Now, what's he talking about when he talks about verse 25 there? See the day approaching. What's that day? That day is the day when Jesus returns and sets the world right. When everything that's broken and messed up is made untrue. When, when everything is the way it's supposed to be. When he brings his, his grace here to this world. That's the day. And so when we gather now, everything we do now as we gather is an anticipation of the day when Jesus will fully heal this world. And when that identity that we remind each other of, we actually get to realize in the light of our King. So we gather, and we stir one another, and we invite others to join us as we do that. Let me just close with this story. Uh, so last week, our uh, site minister for Acts Antioch, Adam Meyer, was, was out of town, and uh, he asked me to, to speak at Antioch. And I'll just be really honest, I really didn't want to do it uh, for a couple of reasons. The first one was, uh, Barrett preached in the morning, so it was the first time in like forever that I didn't have to prep a message, and I was like, oh, sweet, you know. And now I had to prep one for Antioch. And then uh, perhaps more significantly is last weekend was the start of the English Premier League. And I would have rather capped kind of the weekend that was and, you know, evaluated how my Spurs did as I lost to Manchester United. Anyway, so wasn't able to do that. All right. Duty called. Uh, and so, so that's what I did. And, and I wrote the sermon and, and I went to Antioch. And, and it went great. It was, it was awesome. It was a blessing to be there. But, but afterwards, uh, I saw a guy who's, who's worshipped with us uh, many times, a regular part of Antioch, and in the morning, and with him a, a young lady. And so I went up, introduced myself to her, and it was her first time there. And so we started talking, and, and I made the brilliant of saying, hey, so uh, you guys dating? Not a good decision. Not a good decision. Uh, the air suddenly got very, very awkward. Right? And, and they both fumbled to say, no, we're not. Like, all right, all right. Um, but at any rate, uh, they didn't kick me out, and so we kept talking. And uh, talking, this, this 
she actually she started crying. And I was like, okay, I asked about that. And I said, no, you know, what's, what's going on? And, and she said, well, you know, Pastor, like, I'd gone to church when I was younger, and, uh, and I haven't been back for a while, and I've always wanted to go back. She said, but people that kept inviting me to church kept telling me that if I, if I didn't go, I'd go to hell. And she's like, so that sort of made me not want to go with them to church. And, uh, and I said, oh, you know, I guess I get that. And I said, well, how was your experience here? And it was so cool. It was like I got to see, like, hope burst in her. And she said, man, I felt welcomed, and, and I felt comfortable, and I felt safe because of this one little gathering. You see, this is what it is for us to gather and anticipate the day when Jesus comes to set the world right. So, friends, Jesus made a way for us to enter into the holy place. His blood shed for you has paved the way for you to draw near to God. So let's do that. Let's do that together. As brothers and sisters in Christ, let's not let anything get in the way of that. Let's continue to meet together as we anticipate his return. If y'all please pray with me. Heavenly Father, give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks that you sent your son for us, that he might make a way to you. That because of him, we know that we're your kids. We know we're loved and accepted by you, the God of the universe. And Lord, we also know that, that Jesus established his church and that you've called us to be a part of it. Lord, help us to have times where we, we come together and we, we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And we come together and we remind each other of who we are in Jesus, that, that we're not our jobs, we're not our hobbies, we're, we're not these things that will ultimately fail us, but we're your kids. Lord, teach us to rest in that. I pray especially for my friends that are wrestling with that right now. May they find their identity and their hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.